friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a grassroots storytelling initiative that invites women to belong in the world with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. So I have a surprise for you today. Jessica came back. Jessica was the woman that we interviewed um, pretty early on in this season. And she was pregnant with her second child. She had a lot to say about the experience of her first birth, which was extremely traumatic. She had a lot to say about the way that the world interacts with pregnant bodies and postpartum mamas and all of the expectations that we place on women. So she's back after having her second child, and she still has a lot to say. This birth was a much different experience for her, and she's had some freedom. She's experienced some healing uh, this second time around. But she has a message for mamas who are still living in that place of believing that somehow they have failed their child. You know, it's a common thread we experience as parents over time, this idea of failing our children. Jessica's words are just a gift to us today. I'm excited that she's come back and hopeful that you feel the same way. So without further ado, let's drop in and hear from Jessica. Hi. Welcome back. I know. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you across the mic again. People loved, loved, loved your interview. I'm glad because looking back on it, I was afraid that I was sounding really bitchy and complainy, and people just don't care about me enough, and... So I'm glad that it got the response that it did because I was worried that, I don't know, you just, you, you get so vulnerable and mm-hmm. you're just worried that, you know. How will people experience yeah, it and yeah. hear me? And, yeah. yeah. So it was just nice to get such positive feedback. You told me people reached out to you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had like four or five people be like, yes, this happened to me, this happened to me, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. And even if, yeah, it was just, it was good. So you had a baby. I had a baby. Tell us all about it. Um, well, I got my hippie birth. You got your hippie birth. I got my hippie birth. I may, I would like to say that I may or may not have some psychic psychic abilities because I'm pretty sure that we could pull back the audio where I said, I'm pretty sure you're going to get your hippie birth. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember me saying... I'm going to be having the baby on May 17th. You did? Because I had the baby on May 17th. That was so crazy. I know. That was so crazy. You call it like weeks ahead of time. Like uh, two, and a, two months, two and a half months. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, you did. You did. Yeah. yeah, I totally did. Okay, so went into labor naturally on the 17th. Yeah, I went into labor at like 3 a.m. And it was like... You know, woke up and, okay, it'll probably pass, probably pass. It didn't pass. So um, I went and got Daniel, and, like, 3 in the morning, we started getting stuff ready and sent the little one on his way around 5 to the grandparents' house. And we were at the hospital by 8.30. I was in a triage room until 12.30, which sucked. Um, but they wanted to make sure I was progressing enough and mm-hmm. all that. Um and then with the help of my doula, um, it, it was absolutely surreal. It was so surreal. She would say little things like, you know, relax your face, drop your shoulders. Um, 
And then the one thing she said was, uh, you know what? I think if you sit backwards on that toilet right there, it was at seven centimeters. She was like, I think your waters are going to break naturally. And I think that baby will be here really soon. And I was like, okay, backwards on the toilet. Everybody talks about backwards on the toilet. Mm -hmm. It's a real thing because three contractions later, my waters broke. And then 45 minutes later, he was there. No shit. No shit. It was the coolest thing I've ever experienced. Like, like 180 degree opposite yeah. experience. Yep. I pushed for 15 minutes um, compared to my previous three hours. Mm. I mean, it, it was so surreal. And the best part was there were times that I was really, really struggling, you know, and um, give me the epidural and... By the time I was really like, no, give me the epidural, they uh, they were like, well, you need a bolus of IV fluids for an hour, and you're already at a seven. We don't think it'll do anything. And I was really pissed and like saying mean things to my doula, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Maybe. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, but she was like, hang in there. You know, come on. It's tough. It's tough. But... I have never felt so connected to women in my life mm. as when I birthed that baby. Oh. I felt like this is how all these women before me have done it, you know? And I just felt so connected mm. to so much strength. Mm. And um, I, I I can't stop smiling when I think about it. You know, it, it was... Um, super healing for me but beyond being healing it's still like the most badass experience mm. I think I'll ever have in my life and it was really cool that's so awesome yeah what do you tell so tell me oh I have so many things uh I, I can, and I can only pick a few of them so what do you do with do you, is there a need in you to like reconcile the two experiences? What do you, how does that impact the way that you understand? I mean, well, uh, I'm not getting to the question very well. I'm going to tell you a story, then I'm going to ask you an actual question. Okay. Okay. I had one, I had a baby, my first baby. She was easy. Um, she was a pretty easy birth. She nursed easily. She wasn't super fussy. I didn't really know what I was doing. It was my first baby, but you know, relatively easy. My second baby he was a fairly easy birth, but he was colicky, mm -hmm. and um, he was miserable all the time. Like, mm -hmm. he'd eat for an hour, scream for an hour, eat for an hour. I mean, he was miserable all mm -hmm. the time. And it for sure impacted my attachment to him for a while. Yeah. So I'm curious, with the two drastically different experiences, can you talk to women and kind of be real about that experience of, like, how different is it now? You know what's funny is I feel so much guilt about my first birth. Mm. And the guilt I feel, I feel so bad that I feel like I did that to my baby. Oh. Which is totally backwards thinking. Right. Um, but And I look at him now and he's perfectly healthy. He's brilliant. He is smart and sweet and just everything you would hope for a happy, healthy baby. Um but I mean, even just the other day, I was looking at him and I just thought, oh, I'm sorry, that's how your birth went, you know? And I feel like if his 
birth had been a more positive experience, he would have been happier because he was how your baby was. He was colicky. He was miserable, cried, screamed all the time. Um, no chiropractor, no oil, no nothing did anything for mm. him um, until he was like 11 months old. He was, he was, I mean, we, you know, you fall ways, you find ways to fall in love with your babies. Yes. Um, but it was hard because we were all miserable and healing yeah. from this experience. Yeah. Um, and with Elliot, he's he's so happy, and I think, oh well, I I did right by you this time with birth, um. you know, and um, I'm just realizing how much pressure I have still been putting on myself, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I don't even know what to do with it, you know, because they're so wildly, such wildly different experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to let go of that guilt, Mm -hmm. there's no reason I should feel guilt. I I didn't do anything wrong, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So I I don't know. It's it's tricky. I think the bigger picture is just that we hold on to guilt so so deeply um and just learning to let that go is hard it is hard I I was as you talked I thought about how over time that that continues to be true for parents that we assume a level of responsibility for our children that is actually not at all real yeah and it's we do it from a place of wanting to be able to control outcomes and protect them. Yeah. So ultimately the drive is I don't want the inside of my body to walk around on the outside of me and not be protected and cared for. And and so it's a real guttural sort of visceral thing in us. But it causes us to create all of these illusions about things that we could control and can't. Mm-hmm. It that that same narrative, the the thing that you're saying about I know better. Like, I know I didn't do anything wrong, but I can't get it out of my cells. Yeah. Because it lives in there, you know? The same thing happens when they're teenagers and they do shit that you're like, you didn't learn that from me. (laughs) And then you start to feel guilty that this other self-determined human being made a decision that hurt them, that will hurt them and the people around them. And you go, well, what have I done? What have I done? Well, you didn't do shit, you know? Because they are self-determined beings from the moment of conception on some level. So I was just thinking about how that parent guilt never fucking lets up. Yeah. You know, what's funny is my mom will say to me sometimes, my mom and I are, she's like my best friend. I love my mom. That hasn't always been the case. You know, I was, I was a wretched teenager for a very long time. So there's hope is what you're telling (laughs) me? Oh, I mean, there, if there was hope for the two of us. There's hope. There's gotta be. Thank you. Um, and we're, we're very close now. My mom's an amazing person. But she will say, um, you know, oh, I, I hope I did right by you guys raising you. And, oh, I was to this or I was to that or I should have done this. And just hearing the regret in her voice. And it's funny because, like, I had a happy childhood. You know, we didn't have tons of money at all. We didn't do extravagant things. But I was happy. I had a great childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
when I was a hormonal beast of a teenager, that was nothing that my parents did. Mm-hmm. That was me being a hormonal beast of a teenager. Right. You know, and um, it's just really interesting to have those feelings as the parent and yes. then also being the child and being like, what are you talking about? Right, you know? knowing that it's not real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I- I do the same thing. I listen to my mom talk about her. She has my mom has a lot of grief about our childhood mm-hmm. and how she believes some of that was determinant of our adult lives. Yeah. And I listen to her and I'm like, that doesn't even compute. Right. I, I appreciate where she's coming from, uh-huh. but it's not real. Yeah. But then I stand as a parent of a teenager and I find myself being pulled into that um, into those rapids and yeah. really it's like being pulled into a current of some sort where I start to think that I have more control over this damn thing than I do and I don't yeah. and I really think we tell ourselves that because if we, if we really understood our lack of control from, this, from the moment of conception we would all be clinically insane Right. We would literally be rocking in a corner if we didn't think we had some control over protecting and caring for these little people Yep. but your birth stories are great examples of you know for sure that, I mean, there are things that in hindsight, I'm sure you're like, oh, I wish I would have caught that or this or that, Mm -hmm. but that's all hindsight. Right. So I know that, that in a cerebral way, you know, that in both cases, you did the best you could with the information that you had at the time. You had different outcomes both times because you didn't have control in the process. And for me, that's that's a hard thing. I know we've talked about the control, control. thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm not like this crazy controlling person, but when it comes to my body, yeah. because of my past yep. medical history, yep. not having control and knowing that I don't have control of my body, it's, it's hard. Some days are better and worse than others, you know. Um, it but it's terror it's producing, I would think, in somebody with your medical. Sometimes history. it really is. Yeah. Really, really, really is. Yeah. Um, but on the days, weeks, months that I'm, my anxiety is in check and I'm doing well, I realize that not having control is so much easier mm-hmm. than trying to have control you know my my body's gonna do what it wants I mean everything about Elliot's birth went went great um but 10 days postpartum I ended up in the ER um with some kind of infection they still don't know if it was mastitis or some kind of uterine infection they have no idea what it was um and so no matter how in control I thought I was of his labor and delivery and everything was fantastic and wonderful you're still completely out of control. Correct. You know? Yep. And infection happens. Yep. It doesn't mean I did anything wrong. It doesn't mean anything went wrong. It happens. Um, that's such a great follow-up, though, yeah. of the understanding. Yeah. That's a great story to go, and here's the proof. Right. Here's the literal proof that I couldn't have controlled any of this. Yeah, exactly. And, oh, my gosh, speaking of, like, infections happening, I had no idea, no idea how many women suffer from postpartum infections. Mm, mm -hmm. Like, I 
because you know it's another one of those things that they don't want to talk about in postpartum world because you know being in the ER 10 days postpartum being hooked up to antibiotic IV still trying to nurse your newborn and not knowing what to do but feeling miserable Mm -hmm. well you know oh your baby's so cute that's what we focus on and um Right. So people don't talk about being scared and back in the hospital. And I had it easy. Some people are admitted for days at a time, you know. And so, I recently read an article that we have one of the highest mortality rates in the developed in the developed world. Isn't that sick? Yeah, for women, yeah. for postpartum women. Yeah, and it ha- it's also um, divided up by race and class, as is most things in this yep. country, mm-hmm. uh, which is infuriating. And it's really infuriating when you consider the amount of resources we have mm-hmm. to counteract that. But this, so your story does, and you're right, we do not talk about it. No, we don't. We, again, we have sterilized the shit out of this process. Yeah. It's just so sterile. Yeah. I mean, in the middle of the night when I called the on-call doctor, my temperature had spiked like 103. And she was like, well, you're probably septic from mastitis. Um, so you can come to the ER if your temperature gets up to 105. And I had her on speakerphone so my husband could hear. And he was like, 105? Like, you'd, you'd be delirious. I, I ended up talking to some other doctors so they know that that happened. Uh, but, I mean, if, if I had waited because she said I should have, I, I could have been so much more miserable. And it's like if someone had told me... Um, you know, they, they try to warn you about a couple things on your way out the door. Yeah. Um, but if somebody had told me, like, so, you know, it's pretty uncommon, but postpartum infections can develop. Here are some things to look out for. We want to get you treated right away. That's not a scare tactic. It's taking care of women. It's taking care of our bodies that have just gone through such such a journey. And ah, ah, I, I could just go on and on, so... Well, I think too that it goes back to we don't we like we like a woman's body to behave the way that we expect it to. Yeah, yeah, always. So that we we say that in relationship to our weight and our height and our the color of our skin, we mean that in relationship to the way that our bodies respond to all of it. Yeah. So certainly to childbirth, the expectation is that your body responds in a resilient way without Mm -hmm. infection. I mean. I would really love to create a world where there is not a constant expectation around a woman's body from like the freaking time she takes a breath. But I know. I'm working on it. I, I've got to say, <laughs> I probably said this last time, but I, I feel really lucky that I've got two boys because I wouldn't know how, I just wouldn't know how to even approach a little girl and make her, you know, I just, I, it's tough. Yes. I think it's hard. I mean, yes, we can do everything we can to raise good humans. Yeah. Um, and then they, they are self-determined people. Yep, they are. But at some point, we also do still have all these societal standards yep. that I don't think are going to be changed for a very long time. So it is up to us mm-hmm. to every step we take, try to change things. And I just think it's a much greater task with a little girl. It is. 
It's why I when I when I envisioned this project, I talked about the chorus of courage. Uh-huh. I talk about that a lot. I'm bringing together a chorus of courage because I'm not. Sh- I don't think my voice is enough. She's she's literally planted in um, this like cacophony of voices that are way louder than mine. Yeah. And so all I'm really trying to do is to draw chorus of people who can drown that out. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can. I, she can't hear me. Yeah. And it's not because I did anything wrong. I mean. I, I'm sure I did some things wrong. I don't know. I don't really care. I did exactly what I could do with yeah. what I had at the time. Yeah. Um, and there are moments where I, you know, it's, I think one of the things I fear sometimes is that because of this project and some of the um, attention it gets, that people expect certain things out of me or out of her. And I want to tell folks, I'm doing the best I can, but, I mean, I heard her call somebody fat the other day. Now, I said to her, you're joking, right? Like... We're, is that what we're gonna? Is that how we're gonna do this? You know, mm-hmm. I didn't. She lives with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's not like I haven't had these conversations. She's her own self-determined human, and right. so you're right to identify that putting a girl, that raising a girl, um, and I think raising a boy has its own fantastic challenges. Oh, I I don't. Yeah. Yes, like I'm <laughs> I'm watching my son um, take on some of that what I would consider sort of toxic masculinity, this expectation of being brave and tough all the time. And yeah. I'm talking to him all the time about how you can be tough and tender. Yes. I tell yes. him that constantly. But again, I'm one voice yep. in a sea of voices that tell, that constantly says things like, no homo, bro. You know, because God forbid we could allow our boys to express emotion beyond yeah. being tough. And you know, writer. it's funny. Um, my little boy goes to daycare mm-hmm. where... All the other kids are girls. Um, There is one boy, but he is um, the son of the provider. And so he's, you know, usually upstairs doing his own thing. He's, um, you know, like going into kindergarten. So he's one of the older kids. Right. Um, And all the girls are always playing dress up and putting on these dresses. And Charlie wanted to play dress up. And so she sent us a picture and was kind of like, I figured you'd be okay with this. And like... Yeah. Of course Who I would. Cares? Yeah. He's wearing a princess dress. Like, he doesn't know. No. He's he's playing with the other kids. Mm-hmm. He's having fun. Right. Like, why... What am I going to do? Be like, oh my... Get him out of that right now. He cannot be wearing a dress. He is two years old, for God's sake. Right. Like, you know? Right. Um, and... Oh, man, it kills me when when we put such great expectations on kids who don't give a fuck. Not they at all. They are just there to play and have fun, you know? We could take a, we could actually take a note from them because th- there is no, there is no significance or relevance to a two-year-old dressing, a two-year-old boy dressing in a dress. No, other There's, than he's playing and having fun with his right, friends. That's what it means. Yeah. And even if it meant something else, who gives it? But right, right. But it really in that situation, that's what it means. Yeah. You know? So um, I I want to be mindful of, of time too. But I want yeah. to know. Um, so what's it like having two kids, two babies, at home? Um. In general, it's wonderful. Good. It's wonderful. We are blessed though because Charlie is a very good toddler. Mm-hmm. Um, he. He's an observer. He is a thinker. Um, and he's not the kind of kid to run around and get in. I mean, sure, he has his moments. He's a toddler. Mm-hmm. He explores plenty. Um, 
but for the most part, he is very well behaved and has a huge vocabulary, so he can tell us how he's feeling about things. And because Elliot, thank God, is in my book, an, an easy baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Charlie loves Elliot. That's so cool. Is like obsessed, loves him. He came into the hospital room and I said, you know, Charlie, here's the baby. And he said, baby, out. And he, I mean, he just, he knew that mm. the baby was out. He booped his nose. At, he's in love with Elliot. Um, so I think we're really, really blessed because... Man, I had my guard up for having two under two. I was like, this is insanity. I'm going to go completely batshit crazy. And don't get me wrong, like the times when Elliot is screaming his head off in the back seat and Charlie thinks it's funny, so decides to scream too. I mean, it's it's a little much. Um, and everybody has limits, you know. It's fine. I, I do. <laughs> I I definitely do. Um but you know, when people say, oh, my heart is so full, I was like, okay, come on, that is such bullshit, my heart is so full, but oh my God, my heart is so full. Yeah. I, I'm just overwhelmed with how cool they are and that I get to watch these two people grow up and be brothers for life. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. The tricky thing is I feel like you and your partner always have to make sure that that relationship is number one. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you get distance, then all of a sudden life takes over, kids take over, and then you're like, oh, hey, you're a million miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that we've always tried to have in the forefront of our heads since we had Charlie is making time for us. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder when there's two and when one of them is still breastfeeding and, um, you know, we're both into our really busy seasons um, of the year. So still making time for us is... It's, Getting a little dicey. Yeah. but Anybody who has children and certainly more than one child knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I will go... And even it doesn't... I would love to tell you it gets easier as they get older, but it doesn't because then they have schedules and lives that you're always working around. And even in in my situation, you know, this is a second marriage and, um, but we're still trying to navigate a family. And I will literally say to my wife, uh, we'll have these moments of breakthrough where I don't realize that I haven't really been seeing her, but then I see her and I'm like, Oh my God, I haven't been seeing you. Like, and it, I will realize it's been weeks. Like, yes. weeks will have passed, and I'll lay eyes on her in this way that's different and yes. see her as a human that I'm in love with. Like, this, I, I won't see her as a part of a system, mm-hmm. but as a person. Yes. Right? Oh my God, totally. Like, all of a sudden, you see them again, and like, oh. Yeah. Oh. There you are. Yeah. 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 Um, I used to think, like, people who go on dates and leave their kids at home, like, how can you do that? But, you know, hindsight and, oh my God, I've learned how much I judge when I don't know, Hmm. you know? Welcome to the human experience. Yeah. Aren't we all, we are all walking around writing stories about shit we have no business writing a story about. For sure. And I think um, non-parents versus parents or becoming a parent, 
holy hell, is there a whole lot in there? Um, but I've learned how important it is that, you know, my, it's a good thing my kid goes to daycare because he gets annoyed as hell being home with us. You know, he, he wants to go and hang <laughs> yeah. out with his friends too. Yeah. But like, oh my gosh, to not like spend time together, mm-hmm. I can't imagine, you know, mm-hmm. like he's my buddy. He's my partner. We're supposed to do this life thing forever. The kids are going to be out of the house eventually. And like, he's the, I'm not saying my kids aren't important, you know, but like he's, I got to make sure that we're, we're buddies for life, you know? Yeah. It's really hard work. It is right now. I think we're in one of those dips where like we come home, put the babies to bed, get caught up on whatever show we're watching and go to bed, Mm -hmm. get up, do the same thing. Yep. Um, but you know, I, I know we'll be there for each other on, on the other end. Yeah. We usually find a way to each other. Yeah. Usually. Yep. You know, even if it's for that brief minute when you're like, Oh, hi. I I, missed you. I really do love you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm not like a task list and you're not a task list (laughs) and we're not just handing things off. That's so hard. Yes. Um, okay, so I do want to know, sort of as a final question for you, so having had, um, I want you to talk to the mom who was you before you had the hippie birth. And now that you've had that, you know, here's what I don't want her to feel. I don't want her to feel like you graduated. No. Right? Yeah. And got to the, uh, and now you've arrived and now she's still sitting there going, but this was shitty. Yeah. Right? What do you, do you have anything you want to say to her? Let go of the guilt. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard because dealing with trauma, you that's not something you can deal with on your own. Right. Trauma, um, that's why we as humans are so connected emotionally. We need to be there for one another. And going through a shitty birth should not be all on one person. Um, and... I, I had no expectations for this birth, none, because I had so many going into my first, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what happens, happens. Mm-hmm. I prayed and hoped for the best, but ultimately, I had no control. Um, but the number one difference, I think, for me personally, this birth versus my last birth, is I had a huge network of women Mm. who were checking in on me, Mm -hmm. checking in on my emotions, checking in on me physically. Um, My doula, a friend of mine who um, encapsulated my placenta, she's also a midwife. Mm -hmm. She would check in on me. Hey, how are you feeling? You checked in on me a couple times. Mm -hmm. Um, Other friends, my mom, um, having those women checking in on me made such a difference and I think I learned that you have to have a circle Mm -hmm. that you can call on Mm -hmm. and that is who will help carry your burden Mm. because it's we're not meant to carry these things on our own no matter what trauma you have endured in your life you're not meant to carry that alone it's too much for any person Mm -hmm. and 
And even on, you know, I, my postpartum depression this time around was 10 times worse than it was with Charlie. And there were some really scary times, but knowing that I had women checking in with me, Hey, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, um, haven't heard from you today. How are you feeling? It just, it, it helped more than I thought it would. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really good, though. We are better together, and we can be that for each other. So no matter how long ago your birth was, maybe it was a month, maybe it was three years, talk to people. Because holding it inside and being like, well, I'm just supposed to deal with it. No, you're not. You're not. I don't care if you go to a counselor or talk to your friend or you meet someone online that you just need to, like, spill your guts to. Mm -hmm. You've got to let that go. Yeah. Our collective stories heal us collectively. I say that all the time. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. But they do. They do. Thank you for sharing yours again. Thanks for asking. Always. All right, friends. That's all we have from Jessica. There were so many things about our conversation that resonated with me. It was so uh, much of a relief to me to realize that the idea of having failed our children is not something that's new to parenting children when they're teenagers, which is the space or the season of life that I find myself in. Jessica reminded me that from the second that they take a breath, there is this sense of complete responsibility that settles on your shoulders. And while there is tremendous responsibility with parenting, it is so good to remember um, the extent of our control because there's a lot of freedom in the, in the end of what we can control. A uh, little known fact, unrelated to the interview, but important for me to mention, Jessica is also the photographer for The Beautiful Project. She donates her time and her talent to this project. She charges me nothing to take the photos of the women who are part of this work. And so one of the things that I can do in return for Jessica is to send all of you to her business, Shared Light Photography. She is extremely talented. Uh, She's going to take our family photos in in the next couple of weeks, and I can't wait to see what she produces. But more importantly, she is a woman who is grounded. She is about good things. She is here to make the world a better place, and I just think she's such a gift to me and to this project. So I'm hopeful there was something in her interview for you today that resonated with you. If you'd like to hear more stories about women and their bodies and beauty and belonging, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. If you loved today's episode, make sure you stop by and leave a review so that other people will be able to find us. You can find out more information about The Beautiful Project in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.